on y va. C'est parti. C'est parti. Ok, so, how do we start this now? Ok, first of all, welcome back to Capitana Fantastic. Today we're gonna have a very, very mm, special guest. Uh, some of you already know because some of you know know this because of Instagram, but we have Emerick, so he will tell us a bit of himself now. So, please, welcome. Thank you very much for the invitation, much appreciated. Um, so as you said, my name is Emerick, uh, I'm uh, living in Brussels, so uh, do you. I am a translator, interpreter, um, very much a uh, uh, fan of languages, uh, different uh, cultures uh, that's why also I'm living in Brussels I guess that uh, th that explains why uh, also we live city. together yeah absolutely yeah, yeah <laughs> kind of <laughs> well we were like living together for like maybe one week yeah absolutely yeah, yeah not even actually I not think even. it was a few days yeah, yeah, yeah. just a few days because actually I was staying like in the house of a friend for one month and then you were the replacement of someone else absolutely Yeah, but now we are neighbors, so yeah. this makes uh, we, we're, this we're not that far away anyway. So, <laughs> so we're gonna talk about many things today. As uh, you heard, he's a translator and interpret, and we're gonna talk about communication, about language. Well, we will see where this takes us first of all. But I think we can maybe break the ice with this. So take a question. So right. I have like a pool of questions, and he has to take one. Okay. Where do you come from? Oh, it's a very interesting question that can take some uh, some minutes. <laughs> okay, to in a nutshell. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I come from France. I was born in the east of France, uh, in Metz. Then I grew up in uh, uh, various uh, cities, but mostly for the from the north of France. So, I also had uh, a two-year experience uh, in Africa. Uh, which I could uh, elaborate a bit more on that because it was extremely interesting. So cool. But where? Uh, in Djibouti, more specifically. And uh, yeah, I did uh, part of my studies in Lille and I um, then traveled around to end up in Brussels. So, in a nutshell, that's uh, the short answer to the question. Okay, now I'll take one. Let's see. Mm. <clears throat> If you were famous, what would you be famous for? Um, if I was famous, I don't know. I don't think because of podcasts, but I think I would like to be famous because of art uh, in general, culture-wise. And yeah, I want to be famous for being a very approachable person. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's uh, already uh, something to look forward to. Mm. Would you would you be famous for um, producing art or? Mm. Well, I've always had this Being dream. an expert on. No, I think more of like, you've seen some of my room, so just to give like That's a bit of, of background. <laughs> I really like to paint and I like to create stuff in general, but I don't think that, like, I like it to do it for myself. Like, I really like uh, creating art and some for some of my friends. I actually have to do a jacket for one of my friends, uh, like painting on the back. But I think I would really like to do... I would like to be famous for giving the opportunity to many people that didn't have it to create arts in general, like culture-wise or like music, you know, like maybe a foundation where any dream is a big dream. So you can dream as big as you want with Capitana Fantastic Foundation. What about that? If it starts like that, I would be very proud to be part of it in the very beginning. I could say I was there. No, I am actually very happy because you're, a, you're one of the persons that 
you're also very motivating and you're very supportive. Like we've discussed about this like thank already a couple of times and thanks for the support really. No, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now let's start with the podcast. Um, what do you would like to maybe start? Why did you choose translation and interpretation as a degree? Um, well, it all started from, uh, let's say, when I was um, about to, to take my uh, high school uh, uh, decisions, you know, when you have to, to start uh, thinking about your, your, your career and your further choices. I wanted to um, uh, have a, a job that involves the use of languages, um, but I was more looking into the business sector And I was looking for a business school in the very first place. And the more time passed, uh, the more I was uh, more and more uh, closer to choose a, a path that only involved languages to, to the maximum because I didn't want to deal with uh, uh, economic studies or finance. And, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I figured out, out um, quite, uh, quite early in my, <laughs> in my curriculum. You're a very wise kid, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so I, I, I was wondering about what kind of jobs was uh, um, making me practice languages in a uh, daily uh, perspective. And I didn't want really to become a, an English teacher or a German teacher. I mean, anyway, my abilities in German were not so, as good so that I could uh, look forward to that. But um, yeah, I looked into uh, uh, foreign languages first. And as from that, I started, uh, I had my first classes of interpretation, of no, translation first. And I got to like it. It was a very, let's say, shallow learning of translation. But the principle was interesting to me because I figured out quite soon that it was not um, replacing words with other words. And this is when you realize that uh, you need to, to put yourself in the shoes of someone else that wrote something else, that you understand how they think And this is where the real interest comes from for me. Like the, the gymnastics of putting words on other words to me is not the core of interpretation or translation. To me, that is to understand somebody with another, another language, meaning another background, another culture, so that you can make this person understood to, um, between quotes, your people that speak your language, your mother tongue, in my case, French. So this is the whole work to me. And this is why I, I link mostly translation and interpretation to communication rather than just languages. I don't like to, to see translation and interpretation as purely linguistic studies. To me, it's communication. You have to understand the people you're talking with, you're dealing with. You have to, to, be, to be empathic, to, be, to read between the lines, because the words mean different things in different mouth. So this is why you need um, an ability that is superior to your ability of languages. Actually, that drives me to, um, to, to I always remember when, when I say people that I'm a translator or interpreter, usually the first question that comes right after is either what languages do you interpret or translate from? or just how many languages do you speak, which are extremely um, 
distant topics to what translation and interpretation is. So maybe you can answer the, those questions because mm, nobody knows. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So now that I'm here, uh, <laughs> so I, I'm mainly translating uh, from English into French and from German into French, and uh, from French into English. But can you speak German? And uh... I can speak German. Um, I'm quite rusty in German, though, but I can speak it. And but again, this 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 term speaking a language is something that is very hard to 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 define. Nobody knows really what speaking a language means. Well, I think that is already making yourself understood. You know, like for example, I'm learning German, but mm-hmm. for the, the the ones that don't know. And it is a very hard language. I don't know how you do it, like to translate, but not be able to talk. Like for me, it's I can talk. Like what, when I learned French, it was I learned the like the street way. You know, like I really learned by listening, but I didn't know the the rules or like how to apply them. But I guess you learned first the written part and then the spoken, or not at all. Um, the learning uh, is so. As you know, you know when you when you take these uh, this test that um, um, that acknowledge your level, you have those four um, four parts like speaking, uh, listening, uh, reading, and writing. Uh, to properly speak a language, you would ideally master all four. Uh, however, you know that it is not possible to impossible. progress at the same rate in all four of them. You might have your own preferences as well. And it depends on top of that on the context. I might be able to, for example, order food or order a beer in possibly 10 languages. But this is a very, very specific context that uh, uh, do not need that doesn't need much vocabulary for that. Um, and you might be an expert in some language and not in another one. So to put the whole language in a, in in one word in in say i speak german to me is a bit ambitious in the in the way that uh, um, that you always have a sort of area of expertise that you work on that you need to work on uh, you don't need to to know uh, quantum physics in in german to say that you speak german um unless you're a quantum <laughs> physics scientist but that that's the that that was my um uh, my, my 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 point of earlier is that um, to me translating and interpreting does not involve necessarily all that. Uh, however, you might be as a translator or an interpreter, you might be facing situations where you have to learn suddenly uh, because you have a task an assignment. You might have to learn suddenly something very very specific that you don't know necessarily about, and that's what I really like about this job. This is, you are confronted with absolutely all um, kinds of uh, topics. You might specialize in one or the other, especially in translation. If you're specialized in uh, legal issues or you, you might uh, direct yourself towards uh, those those topics, even though this topic is extremely wide in itself. Um, I mean, we're going to try to do a podcast about this, but like... You could talk hours and hours. Oh, absolutely, about absolutely. This, yeah, you know? just stop me. Wait, if you want to. I no, no. I just want actually. Um, could you make the different, like the difference between translating and interpreting? Absolutely. Because like we were talking about reading the context and like reading the gestures and the tone of voice and everything, mm-hmm. but 
What's the difference between that and translation? So translation and interpretation are um, very different jobs. Uh, they are related, but completely different in the way that translation is the translation of documents, so anything that is written, and interpretation involves the interpretation and the translation of speeches, so it's oral. Um, this is the main, uh, this is what we hear between uh, uh, translation and interpretation, that's the main difference. Uh, the, why are they uh, distant? Well, it's um, obvious to, uh, to to know that we don't speak exactly how we write and uh, actually very differently. So I think that they are related in the way that one helps the other, I would say, so that you, you understand better people when you do uh, when you do one or the other or when you do both. And um, the, the also the main difference, I would say you can sum it up in a in a way that uh, for translation you need to think longer because whatever you write will stay on paper and people can come back at you yeah. <laughs> whenever <laughs> if you make a mistake <laughs> they will know where it comes from when you are interpreting uh, in a booth or online as it is uh, the case more and more you might do a mistake and depending on who's listening and the attention that you have uh, you, your mistake might not be even heard. You might not even hear yourself doing the mistake. So that's a major difference. But in interpretation, which is subdivided in two categories, um, you have to think very fast. Uh, the two categories of interpretation, at least the two forms of interpretation that um, we currently use, are simultaneous interpretation, and that's what most people think of when they think of interpretation. Uh, that means um, uh, uh, simultaneous, uh, meaning live interpretation, to speak at the same time as the original speaker is speaking. And consecutive interpretation consists in listening to the speech, taking notes, and then re-rendering the speech in the other language. That's crazy. And that's why I handed you like the, like, the notepad I He has a I little had. notebook where he takes notes, but like, can I see it? Absolutely. I think that if I saw this, I wouldn't be able to... Like, to interpret like that? Um, most likely you would not. And uh, since I took those notes a long time ago, I I imagine that I... I know I can't remember what speeches were at. Well, there's just like... It looks like you're doing some symbols, but... Yeah, it's full of symbols. The, yeah, the whole, um, that's super interesting. But it's very interesting how you put... Like, I guess this is like we're going... Like, this is for upper tone or no it's uh well an arrow uh pointing up can mean uh, a lot of things uh in that case i believe that um yeah i meant an increase of something <laughs> then another symbol follows so i can't That's exactly remember but yeah the the technique of um, of note taking consists in uh in learning a lot of symbols and um to arrange them in a way, I think the arrangement of the symbols is as important as the symbols themselves. Um, so that that will enable you to be to be quick and to arrange your ideas very um, very logically, and that is the main challenge. Um, knowing perfectly, or being able to translate perfectly what somebody said on one or two sentences, is worth less than actually getting the overall logic of somebody speaking. 
usually when you do consecutive interpretation, you have to stay focused for at least uh, two and four minutes before your speech is given. So you have to have, a, in, in two to four minutes, you can have a, a complete reasoning uh, from top to bottom. So but you how, need to get But how do that. you do it? Like when you're listening to someone talk, how do you do to not get lost in your ideas? Because, I mean, you're listening to someone, but in some point, doesn't your mind just like drift away? Um, yes. <laughs> Because I, I imagine <laughs> me interpreting, like if I had to interpret, I don't know what would happen. Like I'll just like go crazy. This is where you have to stay extremely focused between Uh, and this was also what I, I like in consecutive interpretation is that it's also simultaneous when you think of it because you have to take note and listen and you have to make that very um, uh, hard distinction between when it is necessary to listen and when is it necessary to note. Depending on your speaker that you have to deal with, you might need to listen more or to speak more. If somebody has a very fast-paced speech which is not necessarily dense, you might need to um, to note very few symbols to know what's, what the gist of the, of the speech is. And on the contrary, some people do not speak necessarily fast, but would give you a number of, for example, of numbers of, of statistics. And this is when you have to note precisely what they're saying, because you can't really afford when you're talking about the economy of a country, for example, you cannot make a mistake of a coma because that I can know. be a big deal. <laughs> so uh, you have to first identify what kind of speaker you have to deal with. Um, what are the difficulties with the speaker? Is it the content of the speech or is it, is it the way they speak? So you have to, to give a very quick assessment of what you have to do in this right moment. Um, but it's true that your, your brain is... Uh, extremely uh, uh, painfully solicited at this moment. Totally. And, And when you yeah. wake up in the morning, like, because sometimes it happens to me that, you know, okay, so in Brussels, you have so many cultures and so many languages spoken every day. Like, sometimes I can drift between three to four languages per day, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't interpret, like, at all. I just bullshit in many languages. So it's a very a different level. But sometimes I wake up and I'm like... My brain is like, what should I think? In which language should I think? Absolutely. Do you have that problem? Or you always think in French? By the way, this is the first time we have this uh, really long conversation in English. In English, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, which is, yeah, it's, and, and you're, you're going to the, um, to the very interesting topic of um, the, the language in which you think or in which you, you do your life or you do anything mm. um, is driving the way you do this thing. I tend not to have this uh, problem in the way that uh, interpretation and translation forces you to have sort of drawers in your brain so that you don't mix up things. Mm. And the whole job of uh, interpretation and, and translation is the travel between the French brain to a British brain or to an English speaking brain. Uh, to me, that's the whole challenge or to a German, um, depending on the language. And this is the, the most difficult part. And this is also why knowing how to speak languages does not really uh, help you in this way. If, if you have a, a big pool of, of knowledge and of vocabulary, 
this will not necessarily help you interpret and to go from one to the other. And this is also the confusion that is being made by some people that are uh, bilingual, that grew up in two, in two cultures and two languages. Sometimes they have a hard time to decide to 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 make the the division between between the two. I've even heard people using foreign words in French sentences without even them realizing, and this is uh, another part of the of the of the interpreter's uh, life is also to um, to have an idea what. Um, when you discover a new concept, a new word, what would it be translated into, or uh, and to understand um, if there is a nuance into 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 different names or two different uh, concepts, mm-hmm. uh, that happens all the time. Whenever I see something, a new word, because of course I discover new words in French, and also that comes back to the question of what is speaking a language. I don't think even your mother tongue, you speak it really completely. Yeah. To the maximum. I remember when I was studying law, I had to do this like very, very specific um, jurid- juridical uh, essay. And my teacher told me, are you from Canada? <laughs> and I was like, why? And she told me, because the way you formulate the, the, the phrases are very, it's very strange. And I was like, maybe because when I was studying law, I didn't really know French as much as I do now. But I was like kind of not translating directly but kind of like from English or Spanish because you mix all of them and the way you actually do the structure of the phrase is so different from place to place. Belgium and France not really like you just have different words and different but like in Canada you do because you have a lot of influence between English and this is something we were talking about last time like all the all the English words we have in many languages like we I say que cool in Spanish all the time. Like cool is actually in English, but also in French. Wh- which word do you use? Like we have many words, right? Yeah, um, and, and actually, uh, what you're saying just shows that even within a language, you have a whole uh, set of, of streams and of and it, and it flows and and countries influence themselves even within a country and um, we. We, we we tend to, to to forget that actually languages are are li- sort of living animals and they evolve and they die sometimes a lot of uh, languages die every year um and they they mutate um and also the the job of an interpreter is to pay attention to these movements because a word changes it, its meaning with time uh, I think this is uh, this can sound extremely theoretical for um, most people, but um, I am quite sure that the language evolving changes the people's way of life. Um, if I can take uh, uh, the word uh, selfie, for example, <laughs> it's it's a new word that changed people's lives. I, I'm pretty sure that uh, since photography exists, people took self-portrait. But if you <laughs> know selfies. what a selfie is, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's um, if you if you spread a word, you spread the concept with it. You, you spread the idea of it. If you can't put a word on a concept, then this thing almost does not exist. Um, and this is also what this job is, is teaching me. Um, 
it helps you understand. I'm sorry to cut yeah, you. Yeah, please, please, please. There's like, uh, you know, like everybody knows this word souvenir. Like, uh, mm -hmm. I'll go to the shop of souvenirs and just like get a souvenir for my friends. In French, that means like memory, but we As know well. it worldwide to be like, you know, uh, for your keys yes. or a postcard or what else? Deja vu. Like, there's also a French yeah, word. Yeah, there is a number of them. Yeah, yeah like, seriously. I'm just thinking about like how many. Before I even spoke French, I already used French words or like in any language, yeah. you know. It's very nice. Uh, I really like how we're going global as well. Yeah, Th that's very true. And it's also a way to um, to 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 look at uh, languages that uh, have a, have an impact in uh, in other cultures, because I I can name a few a few a few French uh, words like 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 the one you said. Uh, that that integrated other languages. I can name, of course, a myriad of uh, English words that uh, I was about to say invade French language, but <laughs> I will keep it yeah. uh, politically correct. But you know what I mean. Um, I can name possibly uh, the the word uh, Schadenfreude in uh, in German, but very few people exactly know what it is. It's uh, um, the joy you have when you see your enemy failing at something, which is an interesting concept, <laughs> which is only existing in the, um, the, the the whole concept was was carried um, from German, and the word was kept like that. But I don't know any Mandarin words that integrated French language. This is an interesting point because you could say like, okay, uh, uh, languages are are we are now living in a globalized world, and we we we, we talk with those people and so on. But some languages have. Uh, do not radiate uh, as much influence as others, and this is also a way of seeing. But this is very cultural what, as well. I absolutely, mean, yeah. Like China, I'm talking about this. Like if I knew, but like China and Asia in general, they are more close. You know, like mm -hmm. they they really preserve their culture and they really like to be like Chinese, Chinese, and well, Mandarin and all the. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. like. Um, of course, it's very cultural. Like in Spanish, I was telling you the other day, there's so many Arabic words in Spanish and you don't even think about it. You're yeah. not like, for example, pantalón, like it's the same, or almohada, like you have so many words that you don't even think about it. Yeah, I don't even know sometimes that uh, you think they, they, they come from totally. somewhere and uh, uh, the etymology of these words, uh, they, they, they are they're a proof of, uh, of, of history, of... Uh, discoveries of uh, of geography and uh, you you understand the world better through language i mean that that's the whole uh, um, uh, challenge of and that's that's exactly what's is catching my interest and i know it's an endless task so that's why i also liked it because it's uh, it's something that you you never you never bored with mm. you will never get the end of this this is what i i really love with the translating and interpreting like the there's a continuous movement, and you you know you will never reach it. I have some somehow this uh, attraction for uh, um, tasks that are impossible to to achieve. Um, we could talk about uh, many many other things, but like you never reach the, word, the complete you, you mastery. You will come back to this bus, to, to this podcast, so it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> we have some time. Um, yeah, you never reach the, the full mastery of uh, of. Um, of the of a game of a chess game for example or uh or, or, or style or poker yeah we could we could elaborate on this but uh, and 
But I like. I would like to talk, uh, to go back to the thing you said about perception. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about that, like how languages um, change your perception, and also like the words you use and the vocabulary you use also can change the whole situation. You gave me an example last time of um, how in some places you can be persecuted. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, find I, it I like this, this, really. this way of, um, uh, of seeing languages is also a challenge to, 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 to take into account when you're translating. You have to take care of these things. Um, the way language is arranged uh, the the words you have at your disposal will enable you to say certain things and not to say other things. Uh, I'll explain myself with like a practical example. Um, I will take a very very uh, distant example so that it's clear. But in um, some uh, Aboriginal uh, tribes, they speak a language where the words left or right do not exist. And as a uh, an Indo-European language speaker, uh, I guess in almost all of them, there is a word for left or right. And you hardly imagine a life without using those words. But these people used uh, cardinal points to orientate themselves and to locate themselves uh, in in space, which is, in a way, um, when you think about it, more practical because we are facing one another when I say right, it means left to you. So your whole world is locked on your person and the direction you're looking at. So it's a very, very, uh, I would say, self-centered way of seeing the world. And maybe if we change that, we could have a much more um, uh, wider or integrated uh, way of seeing the world because everybody has this, would have the same reference if we used cardinal point. The north is the north for you, south is south for you. And this is also uh, found in, uh, in languages that arrange uh, time differently. You would uh, also the way you, um, you read from left to right or right to left has an impact. Um, and you could also see differences with uh, languages that are closer to one another. Uh, some languages have a use of the passive form, which is uh, more frequent, and that can have an impact on the way you're perceiving uh, a situation. If you say, um, the man broke the glass and the glass is broken by the man, are two different ways of seeing the world. And there are two different things, and you might have a different judgment over uh, the importance of the situation or um, the, um, the the way the situation happened. So, if you use more passive forms, you would have uh, it would have an impact on the way you are uh, judged in a court. Um, you would be less likely to. To, to be found guilty if you have um, uh, if you are, if you are judged in a, in a certain language this is of course uh, a very very uh, theoretical way of seeing things because we are speaking here of a very high volume of words and a very high volume of speeches but overall linguistic studies show that you can 
see a different uh, a difference. But that's why, them. like, when you are persecuted or you go to court, you have the right to have someone that translates your language. That can like, change if everything. I'm, if I'm a Spanish speaker, they're gonna they're gonna take a translator that will translate everything I say to the language of the country. Because actually, yeah, everything you say can be used against you. And that's like, we are constantly repeating everything you say, it could be used against you. We don't realize like words actually have a lot of a lot of weight and a lot of power mm. and it can make you stronger or weaker depending where you are. That's also why I liked also to see uh, this um, profession of uh, interpreter and, and translator as a way to give a chance to, let's say, to to rebalance a bit the, this power when needed. I think, uh, it's not that I think actually, you have more leverage, you have more power when you are in mastery of your words and of your communication. Totally. So, um, I have a heated debates about um, this, uh, uh, the different language policies that, that various countries have. Uh, that's also why people like to defend their, their language. It's not because they want to defend the use of certain words. I mean, they do, but the ultimate objective is not that. It's to protect their ability to express themselves in the best way they can. If you force someone that is not a native speaker to speak another language, you will be disadvantaged. Totally. When you negotiate, when you have to present yourself, you cannot be fully yourself you have to comply with a set of rules that you were not raised in. And this is uh, putting you in a situation of, uh, uh, of submission compared to the native speakers of that language. Uh, you, we all notice uh, that lang some languages are more powerful than others. Ultimately, um, I think that can be a problem. Now, there are also advantages to have common languages, obviously. These advantages are, are extremely uh, easily uh, perceivable in the way that uh, you, you, you think you go faster. You Actually, you, you go faster, but you don't allow the full expression of certain people. And I think going into uh, international co collaboration and cooperation with a number of uh, people advantaged compared to others is um, is a show of uh, of unfairness, mm. but we have to acknowledge that because not everybody does. So it is um, it is something that I like to 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 put the finger on because it's um it's again it's it's something that is uh, perceivable on a very very high level and you need a lot of uh, altitude to see this on your daily life you don't exactly see why is it more advantageous for you to order a beer in french or in mm. english of course i'm not talking about these uh, settings but even ultimately actually but you do. don't have to go that far either like uh, if we talk about right now like us speaking english gives the if we only spoke french mm -hmm. like we're already reducing the amount of people that can listen to this podcast for absolutely example. Or if we didn't, I didn't speak English or French, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation at all. Totally. Or, you know, like all these things are very important, but yeah, you don't have the full expression of yourself. Like English, I think is like a language that mo mostly people, they 
they can they manage and they can really express themselves because we're so exposed to English yes. like everywhere since you are born because it's like yeah it's la lingua franca so everybody learns it but I have some friends that they they tell me I could not date someone that doesn't speak my language because I don't know how to fully uh, express myself and in that point I also think that languages have this like some languages do and some languages don't but you can express the feelings better in some languages absolutely like yes. y you have more more words to describe feelings in particular like English is a very general language I love English like it's really a language that you can it's very malleable as well you can talk and like add stuff like in German as well I mean I don't know German as much now but like you can stick every word together and just like it's gonna be a word but I don't know it's very interesting to how each word also changes your perception yeah like I keep saying it but it's a perception that changes all the time because you have to choose your words correctly every time you're talking and maybe yeah like dating someone or like even having a conversation it won't be the same in each language you know totally um especially in the topic of romantic relationships the um, the amount of um of uh, nuance you need is very very important you don't you don't express yourself in, in this kind of context of romantic relationships you don't express yourself the same way and you don't have uh um the, the nature of the conversation you might have in a language is very very specific and you might need to to be uh careful with your words you might need to be um uh, subtle and you cannot really afford um uh, misinterpretation of your words and you cannot either hire an interpreter to exactly <laughs> say what you mean because yeah. this has to remain in one-on-one -on -one usually um, so it is um, it is one topic actually that that, that people do not necessarily uh, think of either especially in Brussels because we, we we're in touch with again with so many people with so many different backgrounds that um, Ultimately, this can also uh, make people realize that they have an an edge if they if they if they they speak their own language. And um, but at the same time, even if you are the one speaking your mother tongue, you might also have a hard time understanding the person you have in front of, because this person have to make has to make an effort. And again, this notion of disbalance might not be the best if you want to build like something something <laughs> like if you because again like uh, if we say that language is the base of communication and communication is the base of any romantic relationship right. you already start on a on an unequal footing mm -hmm. like it happens to me like for example um i was dating this guy that we both knew french and we he was learning spanish uh but we spoke in english because that's the common ground, you know? Yes. I mean, it's not because I didn't want to speak in French, but it was because the, you know, you know so much a language and you have some, so many expressions that like, yeah, I can know French, but like daily life French can be, it's different, you know? Like now I'm more used to it, but at the beginning I was like, let's keep it in English because it's, it's easier for both. We both have to make the effort, you know? Yeah, so the power absolutely. there is like, and also when you start, I guess, a relationship, whether it is romantic or just friendship, 
when you start a, any relationship, any communication, usually it's more convenient to stay on the same thing, on the same language and on the same page. Uh, again, because even if you can't put your finger it on, uh, put your finger on that, uh, you would realize that you would need another uh, layer of reflection to exactly address this person like you want, and you you get you get comfortable as well in this uh, in this language. Mm. So that also helps you just behaving and acting normal <laughs> and the way you want uh, in that language. If you have to rechange every time and you have to to switch from one to the other you will have the impression that you restart again uh, another cycle of uh, of thinking and you have to re-articulate your thoughts and, and to mean exactly what you mean. Um, this can be a problem, especially if you think that going from one language to another is just replacing words, uh, you will experience I some problems. I think problem. it was you that you told, you told me that you can actually never really translate something. Yeah, that's my a bit of a hot take, let's say, <laughs> but I truly believe that. I I don't think that, as I told you earlier, I like things that are that you cannot really ever reach. I think translation is never reached. Um, uh, ultimate translation doesn't exist. You you will never find a perfect equivalent um, of a concept into another uh, into another language because. Each word of each word of any language has its own path, its own travel. Um, the use of this language, of this uh, word in one language, might not be exactly the same. Some are are very similar, but they're not used the same way, and they do not have the same uh, resonance. So, the only thing you can do is to get close, close enough. Let's say, if you're close enough, that's already a good job. But if you think that uh, you you would read when you read a translation of a book, um, you don't really read the author. You, you you read an interpretation of it. You read a a vision of this book, which is already good because nobody can. Uh, I mean, so some people cannot uh, uh, cannot learn some languages. Nobody can learn all languages. If you're interested in a in a, a in an author that is uh, from a very different uh, background than you are and you cannot read his language you you're happy that translation exists and but i th i think that you need to be aware that you're not reading this person's words again like that's another set of um of words and uh, and uh, another set of um of uh, of of uh, of ways of uh, arranging the world and the, the way you perceive things. So it's necessary to have them, I think, to, to have translations. Uh, it's it's a, it's a necessarily uh, a job that uh, that you need to 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 take a lot of time with because it's it's something again that you know you will never reach. So you will. Uh, you will need to to make that additional effort all in all to to reach something that you will never get so so i think this is um this is a a way of uh, of approaching the world that is uh, that, that i like it's like you know that you 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 cannot really fit the the need 
but you will do your best and uh, i think that's um that's a, a good a good way of seeing things in life in general um you always have a way to perfection but uh, without yeah, even reaching totally. it but i like to to think about that like that we are actually talking with a translated version of each other you know yeah absolutely like yeah. i think i i realized it when i started learning other languages because of this because i could see like once i went with my brother to sicilia so oh my god like in sicilia they really they're so funny you know i didn't understand anything but like the tone they were like so happy and they were so energetic i was like so cool i want to learn you know and the english version was so limited because they didn't know english of course and then when we started speaking in italian i was like this is so funny this is a so funny language like really it's a very funny language and i find that as well that some languages have a sense of humor that are very it's different some have a For example, French has a very sarcastic kind of uh, humor, I would say. And it plays a lot also with the tone of the voice. Like, totally. you, you, even you change your mouth to joke in French. Then in English, I don't know, how would you describe the English humor? English humor is um, extremely, again, very extremely hard to translate. Like, humor is very extremely hard to translate. But in the UK, I think... Uh, the best joke is uh said when uh, the person doesn't i mean the person saying the joke does not smile does not laugh while saying the joke you have to it's, get it it's your effort to get it yeah. and to reach that uh you know it's uh it's not something to be um shared commonly it's you have somebody making fun of something or of himself but you have to make a sort of effort. I think this is the, the mechanics that is that is behind it. And that makes it very peculiar because I I, I believe that it's uh, it, it's quite unique in the world. I, I, you don't see many British people burst in love just after saying <laughs> themselves a joke. And I appreciate that a lot, actually. It's, 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 a, it's a trademark that they have, I think. I, and again, that when you, when you try to uh replicate that it's very hard because uh, again the, the the language is 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 used in a in a way that um this mechanism is is possible in, in english or in in british english which is again something different we can also see differences in in humor between uh belgium and france uh, <laughs> i guess when you when you arrive in brussels i guess the And well, when Brussels you get in touch, is the least Belgian thing ever. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But in uh, in in the deep uh, Brussels uh, culture, I would say there is uh, this uh, this Belgian film uh, which is called Dick and Egg, uh, and <laughs> that everybody has to at least uh, yeah. have heard of whenever you you get in touch with uh, with some locals. And this is. Uh, a very good example on how even from Belgium to France, even though it's the same language, you cannot even really translate that uh, that humor. Some people cannot really understand it. And you understand it much more by living in the country, living in a city, I would say. If you just watch it from, from the outside, you, you will find it extremely weird and, and not understand, like, what is, where is the, the, what is the power of this, uh, of this humor? Where, where does it stem from, really? And I discovered it 
way better while getting in touch with the, with the people like the, the basically explain me without even explaining me exactly why it's funny or why it's it's working why is it successful but you understand it better just by staying there I, I, it's a nothing happens particularly different when you cross the border but somehow it does I think yeah. Even how you count the numbers, like yes, I mean yeah, that, this is that's, something that's that not everybody to, knows. Yeah. But like for example, in Belgium, it's 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Absolutely. And in mm. France, would be 70 for 70, mm-hmm. and 90 for 90. 90. So instead of that, would be 90 here in Belgium, and yeah, this is sufficient <laughs> to create a culture gap yeah totally. and it's uh, when you think of it numbers are the same we we, we don't but change even, the concept but right? even like uh using sava you know sava is like fine it can be sava like are you okay yes yeah yeah you <laughs> don't France, mean the same thing in belgium thing. you don't use it the same way like, absolutely not my, my sister learned french in in france and i learned french here so we're Speaking in French, because we sometimes find each other in some context where we speak fr- French. And she's like, she laughs a bit. She's like, this is so different because I wouldn't, I would never say à tantôt. Yeah, she would say uh, à plus tard, you know? Yeah. I would say à tantôt, you know? It's like, uh, well, it's like, see you later. But it's like in a different way, you know? Totally. It's um, it's a number of things that uh, that even I had to learn when I arrived here. It was in 2012. And you you still discover uh, things from uh, you know year after year by by getting in touch with uh, with people and and also between 2012 and 2021 language has evolved it evolves like from from one day to another of course it's hardly perceivable but it does and you. That, that's that's the um, the most difficult part to 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 grasp. It's to it's to to catch the, the the living element of of the language. It's I think it's very very complex to to understand in a, um, to, to to make people understand in like the way you use a, a word. Um, some things get uh, some words get controversial. Some words get uh, more. Uh, acceptable sometimes some some words are more accepted than others and by changing that you change the world you live in and this is also the job of an interpreter and translator to get because the political correctness of some concept evolve even the word political correctness have a different meaning than it did uh, um, when it was created well what about um, the origin of words like do you have some theory behind because like we were discussing about this with some friends like how the how this why is this uh can like what what comes first the object or the word that's an interesting question unfortunately i would need to learn a <laughs> lot of history to for to answer that question but i believe that those two concepts communicate again there is a i think a common belief that something exists first and you put a word on that and suddenly that things is a, is a thing but i also believe that as with the example of selfie i think the concept of taking a self-portrait existed like way before the word selfie existed but if you put a word on it then 
it takes another dimension. I can create a different, uh, a new, new fashion by creating a new word. If, uh, if, if people are willing to use that word, that would be an interesting uh, scientific experience. If we, if we, if we start the, the, the use of a new word, I'm pretty sure that you can you can change very very quickly uh, the way people uh, act in their lives or or you can even create an object or create a well, this is something that just pops to my mind but yeah. you know that actually google images was born because of versace so because you know who does know donatella versace but um so j-lo was using one of her dresses and people were looking in google like google search so many times like the dress of j-lo mm -hmm. And then the concept of Google Images started, you know? It's... Uh, <laughs> I don't even know why. Yeah, you, you, you can create a concept with, uh, yeah, with, with words. So you, you can invent things. Uh, you don't have to, 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 to find uh, the, the, the right concept before putting a name on it. Sometimes the name gives you the answer already. Mm. So to come back to the original uh, uh, point, I think they, those two communicate, of course. The, The, it's a bit like the the egg and the and the, the, and the chick. <laughs> like it's, uh, I don't think there is ever a uh, an expert in etymology of words yeah. that can actually give you the answer. Uh, but that's a, a a very interesting topic to to dig in. Honestly, I it would help uh, understanding how language is built and the way to translate it the best. Those certain words are 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 key to be. Uh, in certain works, uh, I don't know. I just, for example, I, I read uh, 1984, nice uh, which is a dystopian book of George Orwell, and it's, it, it, one of the major aspect of this book is how language is uh, recreated to match a certain, uh, uh, to match the lines of the of the party uh, of the, of the single party in which the. The, the society is arranged. I think th just for this aspect, this book is extremely interesting because mm. it shows that you you control what people think through what uh, words they use and what words they don't use as well. It, uh, In this book, you can see like how literature also changes, like because they were burning every book that was uh, that shared another ideology. Yes. So you use language for your yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, own you, interest. You, you, yeah, it's an instrument of power, ultimately. Mm, totally. I like to see that, uh, to see it this way. No, not only me, actually. Some people <laughs> know very well what they're doing with totally. their language. You can say you about can, uh, politicians, let's say. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, so. you know that one word will trigger this thing in someone. It's either it is like uh, a feeling of grief that wants, you know, That's why politicians. If you know what most you're of doing, politicians are. Some of them don't even know what they're talking about. Yes. But they're just. They know how to transmit the message. Because mm -hmm. what we're saying, it's not about. It's about empathy as well. You know, like you have to. If you are very empathic and you're a person that you can be easily spoken to, you're gonna be a good politician. Yeah. Let me tell you. This is this is how. Your message is conveyed. I mean, it, it, we, we we go back to something that is elementary, but we we have to pay attention to the word we first that we use, but also the words we hear. And uh, if you know what you're doing, you have an extremely powerful tool in your hands. This is uh, true for any kind 
of uh, jobs. It's true that we, we think of politicians because the speech, the speech is uh, is an essential part of how to, to run a campaign, to be elected, to be understood by people. But I think this is true for any any job you might take. If you're not understood correctly, you might be the greatest genius of your discipline and not be understood correctly. This is a shame because I I can I can even uh, uh, think of uh, of certain people that uh, that 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 lack this ability to to express exactly what their idea is and where they want to go and the process to go there by lacking of communication skills. And on the contrary, some people might have maybe less brilliant ideas, but that can sell them very well and will reach. Uh, many places so this is true this is this can be applied for any for any topic um, I would say if you if you're able to, to sell your project uh, that's unfortunately might one one might say but unfortunately it is a crucial mm. we were talking about being a, an extrovert and a, a person that you can be the biggest extrovert but you don't know how to communicate as well, you know? Totally, totally. Because it's not about only speaking. It's also about, like, making people want to mm -hmm. listen what you're saying. Like, I have an example of some people are in the back, and, you know, like, deep down in their heart, they really have nice things to say, and they want to be heard. But sometimes it's the moment you say something but that's why you have to read the non-verbal communication and i think we should go to that that topic because we could go hours and hours absolutely, about the absolutely. other one <laughs> but non-verbal communication is i think it's even more important like the gesture you know because i can be saying like yeah but i'm like actually i'm saying no with all my body saying no you mm -hmm. know like even how you sit in a chair like if i'm talking to you and i'm sitting on the you know on the edge of the chair it means i'm prepared to leave like you know everything conveys message yeah yeah what do you think about number what can you say about that um this is a an interesting part and also i link it to interpretation too because when you are at least when you're interpreting in person whether you are sitting in a booth or doing consecutive interpretation with my notebook i am very close to people i mean there are different settings but you are close to people you see people and some of the message is uh, understood with uh, even before they speak or even after they speak uh, even though it's a bit late to understand but it's it gives you you can get information from that you can get information to to the point that you will change your way of interpreting things you will uh, change your way of assessing a situation if you can guess already that somebody is disagreeing on a topic if you have a meeting with let's say 10 people then you can identify who's agreeing who's not and how you can you already like if right now we had 10 people right now and we're discussing about the subject which are the first elements that you would like look for um i would say well it's it's a mix of different things of course uh however if you can see somebody um leaning on the table in a certain way showing a lack of interest of a certain topic um or moving its head in in a way some people actually don't even realize they're doing all these like gestures me right now. <laughs> it's it's uh it's a number of uh 
it's an accumulation of these little elements. Of course, I'm, I have to stay focused on what is being said, but <laughs> uh, also there is a, another part of interpretation that I didn't mention is that usually when you interpret, you're never alone. So there is a part when you when you speak and you're usually working with a, with a colleague. And when you're not speaking, it's not like you're on a break. You have to follow what's going on. You have to follow what's going on. You have to follow where, uh, if, for example, an assembly discusses a document, you have to know where in the document you are to, to see when it's, uh, when it's going to be your turn again, where you're at and uh, what has been changed, what, um, what do you have to talk about. So during these moments on which you don't speak, you can use this moment to assess the situation. If somebody is getting uh, more and more tired or nervous about something, you can pick it up. And when this person will speak again, already, your, your brain already sends you a message of what kind of words you, you might use. What can you expect from this person? You have already a, a range of vocabulary that you might be... Uh, about to use of course this is again very theoretical but you can you can assess the situation way better and you're not caught off guard by just the speech it's very important to keep your eyes open you cannot just keep your eyes closed and uh, or facing the wall face the wall and uh, and just uh, be, you would be driven be by living words. two different type of conversations if you were just closing your eyes and listening to yes it. yeah yeah but it's th that's actually one of the things that i like about podcast that you are not really well i mean some podcasts have the vi the video so you can actually see because also like how people are expressing you know like the hands like yes. you're moving the hands or because it's also like the flow of energy you know like y you're not seeing that part you're just like imagining what's happening so if yeah. I would see that maybe I'm hearing something but the person is like completely not maybe your perception is completely different yeah yes. and that's why also it's uh, it's important to have a visual cue uh, to to really to really know who you have to deal with and this is a a reproach that I would make to how the the whole pandemic situation cha changed everything so everything has turned online and for that reason people are behaving online in a way that is really different than how they behave in real life it is much more complicated in my opinion to communicate to be to have the feeling of or the, the at least a sort of sensation of, of being in a meeting because when you're talking to a webcam it's it's not the same thing as looking at somebody in the eyes so this has an, an overall impact again this we are we are, we are lucky that these tools exist because they can still enable us to to continue business i would not say business as usual but at least some sort of mm. business but that cannot ultimately replace um, uh, some some things that uh, that you you need to to have in real life. Usually, when you when you meet someone, you can already guess a lot of things with a handshake, for example. Also, interpreting is not all about sitting in a room. You also talk with the people you're interpreting for. You you get in touch with them before. You might ask for things, for documents, for information. So you. The speaking part is only a fraction of it. I would say it's 51% of it. All the rest can, is also essential. 
it's to get the, um, the, the, the global impression of how a person is and you can it's it's enormous the amount of information you can collect from these interactions that you cannot have online yeah but online is an it's another complete world like absolutely i have my whole university in my laptop mm -hmm. and it's not the same because okay when you go to uni you're sitting down and you're listening to class you can maybe drift your mind somewhere else but like if you're at home constantly listening to a class and like some teachers don't even know how to do it because you have to adapt the the complete curricula of the classes as well mm -hmm. because this is something that caught off guard everyone you know everyone was like okay now what some of my teachers are reading the powerpoint and i'm like to read that i can read it by myself you know and then it's like yeah it's it's completely different like i kind of miss sometimes like the reality of going back to yes There is an energy happening in a room. Yeah. I, I I truly sense this. I and also because you're not always like serious and stuff. Like you, because we are human beings, we are gonna connect as well. You know, like I'm gonna ask you, like, so how was your day? You know, just well, this is something also very interesting because we're all saying like, how is your day or how are you? Sometimes we're not actually ex expecting an answer. We're just like. Yeah, there has been a social convention yeah, that is like, uh, accepted by everyone. Yeah, that, um, but you are not. If you don't answer yes to that question, you <laughs> feel already. You're not going to say I'm bad, you know. I'm like, you're always good, of yeah, course. By principle. But yeah, I mean, I was I was talking about the other thing. Like, some of my teachers are like, they don't, they can't even do it themselves. Like, they don't wanna. It's, it's hard. But mm -hmm. yeah, we kind of uh, there's mu much more to language than just words. Yes, um, it's also th this major change is has also an impact that is very hard to assess. But we would, I think, need at least to try to to assess it. I cannot think we we could continue and think this will have no consequence. You need a. Uh, you, you need to, to, to be aware that the, the way you're learning things has an impact of how much you, you remember, how much you, 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 you get involved with this, uh, you get in connection with what you, are, what, you are, what you are learning. And this will have an impact on the future generations of engineers, of doctors, of um, uh, artists. The way you're producing, uh, yeah, in art I mean, you don't in general, have to go this, that uh, far. Like, my, my little brother, he's 15. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's listening to this, but you already have this different way of communicating because, like, you're told everything you have is online. So, you, I don't know, you communicate in a different way online. Like, I really hate texting because I'm, like, not really good into all the time writing. Like, I do it with very little, pe a few people, but, like, the new generation generations are getting more used to that than real life so i read that this this was going to be a problem like for interviews that the new generations don't really know how to have a conversation you know like you have to develop that skill as as we were saying yeah we are like a whole life yeah a whole life but like if everything is online and you don't have actually the the moment to really expose yourself outside and just like I mean, the more you talk, the more you learn how to talk with people, you know? Like, like with this, like at the beginning, I really didn't know how to start it. But now I'm like, y you get the grip with time. 
But what if everything is online? How you develop those skills? This will require another kind of interpretation, not from language to another, but from uh, a means of communication to, to another. And this will probably create a generation gap that we cannot really evaluate yet. Because I guess you're talking about the really younger generation after 2005 or... Hmm. So when these people will enter the job market, most likely this will create uh, funny situations. And sociologically, I think it's going to be very interesting. Mm. You will, uh, we, we already feel, even if we're, we can be uh, considered as young, <laughs> we already feel a generation gap coming. I think that's interesting at least to be aware of this. So you can uh, adapt yourself and not stand there just not understanding what's going on. Who are those people and why are they like that? But, <laughs> Rude. Yeah, at, at least that's, uh, <laughs> that's the, the, the good thing about, uh, if there is a good thing about a very, very brutal change, at least you, 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 you might be more aware of it, of, of its consequences. Because if it happens year after year, some changes are so slow and so um, happening with, with so little waves that you might not even feel them. And it's only when you look backwards that you realize how much has changed. At least with a brutal change, you might say, okay, there's this, there's going to be a before and an after. So, yeah, this is... A, uh, this is also something uh, I'm interested to. It, it pertains to to interpretation and, and, and translation too. In the end, in terms of um, we were new words happened. <laughs> that's very true. But all of this is a a tool of expression, and we were talking about this before. But how can we express with no words? What about fashion? How can we express about fashion? Yeah, that's. Uh, I know that you have a special passion for fashion. So, for example, today, both of us, I told him, like, we should be very, like, expressive, like, with our clothes. Like, um, I mean, I really like motifs. You'll like, see the picture on, on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, you'll, you'll see the cover. <laughs> like, we are really en bombe, like, we would say in French. Um, but, yeah, like, that's why right now, well, I mean, this is something uh, why fashion has been always that important as well for every generation you know because we're we kind of identify with some fashion and then we express through through that fashion so i think that even people that say like yeah i don't really care about fashion you do because you kind of like you identify yourself with a certain type of group or or i don't know um movement and that's why like there's so many fashion icons through that have been evolving with uh cultural and political changes and stuff like that yeah these people um, give cues on what time they were um, they were assigned to um, some actually managed to to go from one period to another and I I really really uh, fully acknowledge that um, yeah it's more generally I would talk more about style than fashion mm -hmm. uh, in general. My, my, my hobby is more about style than fashion. Mm -hmm. I, I see more fashion as the as the industry. I mean, mm -hmm. it's an ugly word, but I, I, I acknowledge it okay, and so I, I'm not against style. that. It's just okay. that I'm, I'm not um, 
this is not the fashion industry is not my hobby. That's it. But, okay. uh, I, I'm acknowledging mm-hmm. uh, that it exists and it it, it has to exist ultimately um, because it's a it's a hobby that um, that I that I have and I make a lot of connections with language, of course, uh, between clothing and 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 speaking languages. Um, it is something that I um, link to language in the way that everybody has to communicate the same way everybody has to dress uh, it is something that is some is necessary for people simply not to die just like eating and for that I th- there is a natural uh, dynamic of uh, of fashion around the world whether people like it or not and want to acknowledge it or not you you have to deal with your with your clothes with your style uh, even if you if you have no no interest in it having no interest in it already conveys certain message and this is also communicating for that this is this is what i i really uh i really like in in clothing it's something i like to get interested in because it gives me the, the power of uh, being in control of what message I want to convey, depending on the context in which I am. Um, I like to understand uh, and to control, to a certain extent, of course, what people will think of me, what I expect from people in terms in a professional context, for example. You might need or uh, you might want to have a little edge that will give you that uh, little uh, bit more of credibility, for example, with a customer. That that can be uh, extremely simple to fix, but um, the, 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 the way you approach a new customer, even if this person is, uh, is dressed completely uh, uh, freely and, and with no particular thinking behind, this person will have an assessment of who you are, what do you want to do, how, what is your 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 um, your perception of, of your job, what are you here for? So, I want to be in control of that. Uh, if you are a, an interpreter that is uh, a genius and you're misunderstood because of these little um, aspects. I think that's that's a shame. It's uh, and this is not something you can uh, you you can think it's uh, it's shallow and it's uh, unnecessary. But that's how people are, and that's how you'll be perceived in a way or another. Now, you can also um, fall in the trap of thinking that will be enough for you to be perceived as someone professional and so on but it's a fine equilibrium that I think uh, you have to find in between the way you are presenting yourself to others because to me style is just this is mm-hmm. presenting yourself um, but it's also how you feel you know like some days you will feel more like in a casual way absolutely or, yes. and that actually says a lot of people I would say like yeah. It is the perception, you give a perception, but you also, like, you were saying that you don't like to categorize people and put people as mm-hmm. labels. You don't like it, yeah. but we do it. 
even we, even about without my brain goes faster it. than what yeah, I want to exactly. really think. It's, like it's, when you go to a party or just like to the park or whatever, like you're exposed to people, you're already gonna see the type of people. As I was telling you mm -hmm. before, there are some people that are gonna be very classy. Some people are gonna be more bobo. Some people are gonna be more like that. And according to the style of people, you'll feel more identified with ones or not. You know. Yes. There so, yeah. is um, the individual perception when you see just someone wandering in the park and you, you, you look at that person, you make an assessment. And then there is also a more um, social assessment when you have a group of people and you see how this group is dressed. This is uh, also a, an evaluation of a situation that you can make and that will make you understand where you stand compared to that group and you want to feel comfortable. It's going to be weird if you show up to a extremely uh, uh, dark bar in a shady street dressed in a suit. You will feel that wearing a suit is not because you're more formal. Like It will not immediately grant you uh, an additional credibility. It's, it's all a matter of assessment. Uh, when I say that I'm interested in style, I'm not uh, referring to, uh, to the formality of the clothes. Absolutely not. It's just uh, a way of um, communicating certain things to certain people in a certain context. Mm. That's all what it is about. And being in, in control of all this enables you to to maneuver uh, and to, to, to have things going your way in, a, in, a, in an easier uh, um, fashion, pun intended. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's it's quite hard sometimes to assess exactly where you have to stand in terms of uh, uh, formality when you don't know a place, you don't know, um, for example, you want to, to go to a job interview, you have to to give a fine assessment of where you, you stand, what, what is the, the, the policy of the, uh, of the, of the house, of the, of the building, of the company. Do these people tend to adopt the casual Friday, for example, is something that you might need to know. Um, again, like you might be caught off guard uh, by uh, being too formal because, again, this will uh, operate something in the people you have to talk to. Uh, they will assess you as somebody that can be a bit uh, too, uh, too tight on rules, for example, or on the contrary, too, too loose. So, But I think this is something that is changing with the years. Like now, it's more accepted. Being than conscious before. of that is like, also a very important. Because part. before, you could not have uh, tattoos in your arms yes. or piercings. Like I have a nose nose piercing, and I remember the first day. I I keep talking about my year in law, but it was like my first day in law. One of our teachers told us, if you have tattoos or piercings, you have to be very careful who you work for or what do you want to do with your life because not everyone is going to be okay with it and I was like I'm not going to change that because of a company and that's also very interesting like I wouldn't like to work for a, co a company where I have to change my whole style or like that I have to change because of them because then this is the good thing of now that you can actually um, take the company that you share the vision and mission and you're like hmm, I can be there myself because that's about being yourself as well you know You, you want to choose something today and you're like, I feel myself with these clothes. So it's like my portrayal of 
me outside. Mm-hmm. There's colors, shapes, all of that. You That's know? true. Um, the the example you gave with the, the tattoo example is a very good uh, example, uh, especially because it's uh, it doesn't really pertain to clothing because you cannot change a tattoo. I mean, you can, but it's, it's lesser. Less, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it's more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but this has changed drastically over the years, over the past few years, and this is also something that is. Um, uh, interesting to, to try to assess is the the global world you're evolving, not just the place you're going to be, but um, or the, the, the bar you want to go, or just how things are generally perceived, and they change extremely fast in those days. And the example of the suit as well, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a piece of clothing that in the 80s or 90s was not even questionable people had to wear suits or high heels and high heels um, and this was not a uh, this was not style anymore this was just a um, an obligation and the fact that this is changing uh, which changes also the whole fashion industry um, is uh, is letting people express themselves a bit more uh, freely, and at the same time, I see that if you are wearing a suit in a place that you are not supposed to, or um, for example, in a casual Friday, and if everybody applies this casual Friday clause, let's say, um, people will ask you why are you inflicting this to yourself, and some people might be. Uh, uh, saying uh, no, I I do it because I like it, and mm. this. So I think in the end you always have, if it let's say if it completely changes, if the policy completely changes, and everybody comes in in jeans and sneakers at work in any kind of company in the next uh, ten twenty years, you will have a new margin, a new new marginal people where continuing continuing to wear suits. Uh, that is a generally. Um, uh, something that I like to 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 see is that whatever you do, wherever the the stream is going, you will create uh, a mainstream and marginal people mm. ultimately, mm. Uh, and this will change continuously. I mean, this well, we were talking uh, in a very individual um, version of it, but when you talk about more cultural, you can also see that. Some cultures have things more accepted than others. For example, you can see Italians, like, I mean, as a general example, they are very, very, um, you know, they are very classy in a way that all of them are very formal, like even in the informal things, you know? So, or in... Meaning putting effort into... Yeah, but like, I would say like in the, like in style, the style is more, like for example, in Brussels, taking the example of Brussels, Brussels has a very bohemian kind of style in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the local version, like they're very vintage and they have, there's like, I love these vintage stores here because there's so many and people here in Brussels do make, make the effort to do that, you know? Like you go outside and everyone is vintage. You, you feel like you're in the 80s or 90s. And this is true. Yes. Like if you are very modern here in Brussels, you're kind of like, you know that you're not from here. Yes. You know, yeah, and that's what yeah. I mean. That some cultures do also have that. They are like culturally accepted, 
when you're looking like a local, you know? Like, uh, and you kind of change your style the, the according where you are. Like, when I was, when I arrived first in uh, in Belgium, I had a very American style. But, like, I, I come from South America, so we are very, very um, influenced by, by USA, you know? Okay. But now, here, I see my style, like, the more I live here, the more I have a bobo kind of alternative style. Yes. Because I also identify with that, you know, like for example, the piercing I have in my nose, I really feel it's part of me, you know? Yeah, this is yeah. like a fun fact, but like, I wouldn't take it out because it's expression of myself. It's not a piece of clothing, but it's something I put extra to my body, you know? And that's very nice, like how we can express through all of this, like the shoes or like even the color of your nails. Yeah. And now it's you like very accepted, message. you know, like men can also paint their nails and totally, stuff like that. Yeah. And it's something that we're like, I think we're accepting more this, this expression of our true self. Mm. Yes. Um, I, I like also to make the connection between, uh, you, you named Brussels and, and, and Italy. Um, uh, but I, I also like to to, to take uh, the geography as a point of, uh, of reference to understand why people dress in a certain way and geography and of course history history and geography goes go hand in hand but those factors that might be a bit distant actually have a very big impact on the way people dress and uh, because geography is uh, uh, involves climate as well and in terms of climate you have a different uh, perception of what you need to wear and what do you wear it, if it rains every day like here <laughs> You, you you wear more things that's already a big uh, a big difference in the way you're approaching uh, style I I'm very much interested in a more formal style as well um, which in itself has a very rich culture especially in Europe and you when you dive into it you realize how much difference again there is between uh, an Italian suit and even inside Italy you have different streams different styles different schools and you go up to up north in France and then in, in England and you realize that when you look at um, at an Italian film uh, if, you, if you look at um, that if you watch uh, the talented Mr. Ripley for example this is a one of my favorite films uh, the, the the style that radiates from this film is completely different than if you look at um, to give another example of uh, British style um, uh, British Kingsman Jones. for example <laughs> if you look at if you watch Kingsman uh, with Collingworth this is a total different style like this is also very formal and so on but the British style um, it also comes with the the weather of course and and the culture around the, the United Kingdom, it's much more formal, it's much more, uh, the suit has a function that is a bit different. It's, you have to pay attention to the etiquette, you have to pay attention to the, um, the, the, the structure of your clothes. It has to give an image of you that is uh, more statutory and which is completely different than in Italy where or in Paris, freedom of movement is very important. You have to express yourself. You have to um, use uh, lighter fabrics. You you have to to 
to interpret the suit in a different way. And I'm just talking here about suits, but that's that is applied to almost every like kind everything. of everything. Uh, <laughs> absolutely, it's it's uh, it's very very uh, uh, interesting to look at it in a in a way that uh, um, that uh, geography and, and the climate can in have an impact over uh, over the, the way you you dress. Uh, now there are plenty of different factors, and they change, and they. Uh, I like to study this as well, not just in the way I dress up myself. I'm not always uh, uh, spending uh, hours. Actually, I don't like to spend hours dressing myself. I, this is something that I uh, that people might have uh, as an idea. Uh, that that people uh, interested in style like uh, like to, to spend hours uh, choosing things, but I think the the best style is reached when you don't need that much reflection. It's, it's when you it's you, you already you have, have a clear idea. Yeah, it's it's it represents uh, more or less who you are, and you you will not make any mistake, and you just have to make a short assessment of where you want to be today. Where do you have to go? Um, and and that's it. And you make your your um, you make your decisions like that. It's um, it's also a way of uh, starting your day because usually that's one of the first things you do in the day. So it's it's calibrating a bit the mood in which you will be. Um, since it's my hobby, it makes me happy in the very beginning of the day, which I think is very important to have something that kicks you in a good way, and. It um, you can sort of have a a power over what will be the mood of the day, what will be the direction of the. It's it's almost like the first thing you you eat or you you have, like you, you drink your coffee. It's uh, some for some people it's a ritual. I understand that. I see it the same way. And the difference is that you have to carry them all day. You have to carry those clothes. Like they they they, they just don't land on your shoulders. You have to carry this all day, so it's important to choose right. I think it's. Um, do you have like any preference between colors? Like when you're in a good mood, do you use brighter colors? Um, if uh, somebody did a study over my <laughs> mood and the colors I would use, possibly they could find a pattern. But I, I don't, I, I don't think I do. I, I don't have a, a methodic way of choosing that. Uh, I don't think I choose colors based. I choose mainly colors based on uh, the way they're interacting between one another. And I don't have any preference for colors. With time, actually, I I had a a, a very uh, very big attraction to the to the blue color, but. I think it's it's fading away with time, and I think now I I see the the chromatic circle as something quite uh, wide, quite wide and quite balanced. And every color has, of course, like we know about the meaning of colors and everything. It's a very interesting and topic too. And that's also too. very cultural. Yes, very cultural. But I I don't put any hierarchy between the colors I I choose. I li- I like them all. In Which a certain is your way, color? I I would say um, uh, in the way that I use it, my favorite color would be gray. <laughs> but it is uh, because it's very convenient to 
to combine with other colors and it's it's also a uh, let's say a humble color in the way that it it provides some light to the others and I like this it's it it helps uh, in the creation of an outfit I think it helps linking things between the elements and you cannot make really mistake I can't think of any color that doesn't match gray so and on the contrary I don't like black too much I wear some black things but it's um it's almost the contrary it's the extreme of it when uh, I, I tend to 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 point exactly what what is black in an outfit and I think it's taking too much space. Mm. I like when things are balanced between one between one another. Mm. It's I just an it, aesthetic per if perspective. If I had to but choose between black and white to like to combine different colors, I would use white because it gives more light, you know. Yes. But like when I arrived first in Belgium, um everybody was using very dark it was also very it was winter so it also changes with the season you know yes. when it's winter people here at least they well where i was living before there was no winter actually like yeah. we're 24 degrees kind of most of the time so we are not Which having is, uh, summer in some countries. yeah yeah <laughs> and we don't have it you know so i arrived here and everybody had colors that are for winter or for summer and in winter it would be very gray and would be very black and i was like for me, it's a bit sad because I love colorful things in general. Like, yeah. mm, they transmit a lot of energy for me. Like, energy and, like, I don't know. It's, like, it really reflects my mood in a... Well, in general, you can see right now, like, I have a lot of, like, a lot of colors. <laughs> but because colors for me is, like, you give life and the specter spectrum of life, like, I don't know, it's brighter, I would say. But some people prefer black, like, only black. You know everything that you I don't black. agree with this uh, with this way of seeing uh, winter as the occasion to wear black or to wear dark colors. On the contrary, I think it's again in a matter of balance. Yeah. I think it would be a, a good contrast actually mm. to, to 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 wear lighter colors. I like to 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 drop once in a while a white uh, white trousers in winter. Actually, that. Uh, I know it, it's it's not a natural reflex to have because again, it might be completely unconscious, but you tend to match the the the, the surroundings of. Um, of course, uh, I mean, imagine your, your you're the only one using red in thirty people. You'll be like you will stand the out. spotlight, and it you depends. You have to also, assume this, you but that to... also depends, like how how comfortable you are being in the spotlight, mm -hmm. because this is also like. I mean, sometimes people think that because you're using a color, you want to be the spotlight. And that's actually not true. It's just the color, it's nice, and I like it, but yeah. it's very cultural as well. Yeah, mm. you have to bear with the consequences of what you wear. Yeah. And this is also <laughs> something that I think helped me as well, like uh, building some more uh, affirmation, some more confidence in general. Again, this is a, another consequence of, of style and, and clothing that can uh, be extremely productive if you can assume how you look towards people and if you know what uh, what will be the perception of, of people when you wear this or this thing you will behave with them differently mm. and you will be i think more um yeah more confident and more in uh, in control of, of your interaction with those people that i really like i could see the, the, the i could see it in very very practical uh, uh situations I actually uh, encourage people to try to 
uh, now even if it's a bit more complicated but to travel and dress formally this is a very interesting experiment to make uh, traveling wearing a suit is a different experience at the airport the way you treat you're treated by people uh by uh by the, the the cabin crew or the or other people didn't think you, about you, that you are, you are you, are, um, you, you 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 experience the thing differently in 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 good ways i would say <laughs> so i i like to to do that uh, once in a while uh, because usually on the contrary that's uh, the occasion where um, you have to to carry things it's not particularly comfortable so people want to balance that out with uh, very very casual clothing and to feel almost like they're in the in their living room like this <laughs> i want to play it the other way mm-hmm. i like it i actually never thought about it like that but wait let's check what time is it I think okay. we are an hour and 35 minutes Amazing. Uh, long. So I think we're going to wrap up for today. And Perfect. we actually wanted... I wanted to talk about the poker and the psychology. Behind, yeah, we can... But uh, we'll do that uh, next Elaborate time. on these topics so, uh, yeah. in a further <laughs> So episode. if you're interested in poker and psychology, we'll have you again. Games in general. I yeah, think. games in general. It's a very good way of seeing life in your surroundings. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I, I think we'll do another podcast about this. But yeah. Perfect. So if you are... How many minutes? One hour, 36 minutes, 28 seconds. I owe you a beer, totally. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming and thank you for this super interesting conversation. Thank you very much for the invitation (laughs) and I'm looking forward for the next one. Totally. Well, bye. Bye Bye-bye.